0: Welcome to concept to creation a podcast featuring entrepreneurs who share their business journey. We'll hear what motivated them to turn their dreams into a business. They'll share stories from the trenches of business, from raising capital, creating products or services, navigating regulations, hiring employees, and managing competition and growth. We'll discover their successes and failures, and they'll provide advice for budding entrepreneurs. Now, here's your host and fellow entrepreneur, Mike Conrad.
1: Welcome back to yet another episode of the Concept of Creation podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. My guest today is Larry Welk, co-owner of Smart Splice. Larry is a business owner with a history of working in the electrical and electronic manufacturing industry. Uh, He's skilled in sales, business management, business development, process uh, improvement, and sales management. Larry Larry says he obtained his master's degree from the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, Haven't we all in many ways? After getting knocked down, he says he always focused on learning and getting back up again, a valuable lesson that we can all learn from. Uh, we'll talk to Larry about his up and down journey and what, he, what knocked him down, and more importantly, what his inspiration was and his techniques were to get back up again. So welcome, Larry. Thanks for uh, being my guest today. I really appreciate uh, you being
0: here. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me on the podcast.
1: I should call you Professor Larry, I suppose, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, This is a little bit of a distraction, but when I was doing my research um, on you, um, I I noticed that you and I have at least one thing in common, and that is we both have a history, when we were young, of working for McDonald's. Um, There you go. You uh, uh, worked your way at McDonald's from 1976 to 1985, working your way from grilling burgers and making fries and probably cleaning the the, the oil, the shortening out of the machine, which was the worst job in the world, most dangerous job in the world. Um, And uh, you worked your way up to uh, manager. I started at McDonald's also in 1976. So you and I were, were following go. the same yeah. path, only my journey didn't last there as long. My journey was a little bit more typical. Um, I, I worked there for about two years. Um, and I have to say, I really developed my strong work ethic working at McDonald's. I don't think anyone could say that today. Uh, but, but back then, as you probably recall, um, the, the mantra, the number one mantra, is stay busy, right? if
0: yep, exactly. If the manager
1: needed the worst job in the world to be done, they would look for someone who wasn 't busy at that moment, and they would go, "Conrad, <laughs> clean the toilets, you know or whatever exactly. so yep. we cleaned everything if the, the rule was if you 're not busy, pick up a rag and start cleaning so we cleaned the grill, we cleaned the floor, we cleaned the utensils, we cleaned the bathrooms, the parking lots the the walls of the freezer were all stainless steel, we were constantly polishing stainless steel and um, and, you know, I did all that for $2.30 an hour, which is probably 1976, what you started at as well. Um, exactly. And even our cash registers were these mechanical cash registers. They weren't the modern electronic computers they use today. And we didn't, we weren't allowed to, to itemize on it. We had to add the math in our head and only put in the total in the tax. We had to calculate the tax off a little printed worksheet and, it didn't do any adding for us so i got pretty good at simple math back then um so, so that long explanation i learned a lot of things working there and uh, in 2 years you had more than 2 years there and you were store manager what experience at mcdonald's has helped you in your in your life or in your career uh, to date
0: Well, the the one advantage with my experience at McDonald's, I took it one step further, uh, becoming a manager. And uh, I think my biggest uh, advantage at first was I just loved having a good time and we had a great time working there when I first started. Uh, We just had a fun crew uh, and I worked up into management and I went to a couple different stores over the years. But the most, I, I actually have my Bachelor of Hamburgerology degree. So you are talking to a professional burger flipper.
1: You're more than yeah, just an I, average I, professor.
0: No, I, that was my first plane trip. I went to Hamburger University out in Chicago, and we learned all about customer service. Uh, I went to local training sessions about equipment. So that's when I got my interest in equipment. And I was always a, a motorhead when I was young, fixing motorcycles, that type stuff. So I always had, I always was a real hands-on approach. And McDonald's, just like you, it, it really entered a work ethic for me because I became manager and I was that guy that always looked for somebody that wasn't busy and made them do that. And it, it is completely different today. My wife and I met at McDonald's, uh, got married when we were at McDonald's. So uh, it was a little different when we walk into McDonald's today, we just, we just shake our heads, boy Ray Kroc would be rolling over in his grave, you know just the way things are done now compared to that day, so I think I that, agree that's where my work ethic went, you know came from really
1: I think former McDonald's employees of the seventies or earlier make the worst customers today because, like you said, I do the same thing. if I ever go in there, uh, I just shake my head and yeah. and sometimes yeah. sometimes I will have. My wife gets so mad at me when I do this, but but sometimes I'm next in line. The person in front of me moves out of the way, and I stand there, and the person just looks at me and kind of does this, and <laughs> and and I'll just stand there. And I'll just do this back, and my wife's yeah. like, "Just go up there, don't be twisted." I'm like, "No, I'm waiting to be greeted. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to McDonald's. May I help you?" And I'm just yeah. gonna I'm just gonna stand here and have this stare off until yeah. they say that. But uh, yeah. anyway, that's just me. So before we get into the specifics of your of your current um, endeavor, um, tell me about your journey into the electronic industry. You went from um, McDonald's, you know, cooking burgers and managing people, to uh, working in this industry. Um, what was the circumstance? What a lot of times it's like a pinball that you know that that just bounces off the bumpers, yeah, right? I, a lot of it is exactly. happenstance and all that. But but tell me how your journey um, went that, that that brought you to the electronic assembly industry. Believe it or
0: not, my one job that I really wanted that I never had was I wanted to become a truck driver. <laughs> and I took a truck driving course and I found a company that looked, needed somebody for, uh, basically in the back room to do stock and what have you And a company was called as Mecca. Basically, when I went to Mac, or went from McDonald's to, the, to this industry, thinking that I was gonna be a truck driver, everything completely opposite happened. I started for Ismeca. Uh They made the, 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 the best taping machines in the industry at the time, and they didn't use any truckers. They, every, everybody was a big customer. They had their own uh, discount program with major truckers at the time, so I never got to go actually deliver a machine so I did the next best thing. I was in charge of inventory. I took them from customers that were angry to stocking product, spare parts that made the companies happy that we had, because normal delivery time was eight to 10 weeks for just a spare part. And companies can't be without that. So that that was that business ethic that I learned at McDonald's coming into play with my very next job. And I took them from having $5,000 in spare parts to over $250,000 in spare parts. But they also increased their top line by millions of dollars by doing that. So, I was kind of I got in the I got into this industry kind of the wrong way. I came in through the back door, which they said. So, at that company, I was never going to make real money being a salesman because they always looked at me as the guy who was in charge of spare parts, but it also taught me how to bring in new customers in the machine industry, you know, what's important to them. So, well, even though
1: it's interesting, even though it wasn't the job you thought it was, um, it's kind of like see the world join the Navy. It's not quite the experience yeah. they promise you, you know, yeah, at the exactly. recruiting station, but it's still, you know, the fact that they were a, you know, taping company of sort, a, a equipment company. Uh, that's what you do now. I mean, that's been your, yep. that's been the common thread. So even that's, though you didn't do what you thought you wanted to do, uh, you know, there's, It's a a good thing, though, because it did introduce you to this business, right? To the specific part of it.
0: After a year in the back, uh, the one guy who was the salesman transferred to their office in California, and I was in Pennsylvania, so I I took over his position, and then I hired somebody to do my job. So uh, I got into this business, you know, because the one thing I said I would never do was be a salesman. And now I've been doing it for 35 years. You know, tell, don't tell, they say, don't tell God what you're going to do because he's going to change it. And that's exactly what happened to me. It's like, oh, by the way, you're not going to be driving a truck. You're going to be a salesman. The one thing you're never going to be, you know? And I, I got hired away from them because somebody wanted a salesman. And I just kind of stayed in the same industry from then on.
1: I think any business owner, will realize this, if not at first, certainly after a few years, everyone is a salesman. Truck drivers are salesmen. Service people are salesmen. Uh, Receptionists are salesmen. Um, Everyone is selling something to do with the company, right? So uh, you don't have to have the formal title as salesman, but, uh, you know, everyone around you in your company is a salesperson for the company, right?
0: right? And that's all based on customers. Right.
1: Um, So, Today, fast forward to today, we're going to jump around through history a little bit. Uh, you're the co-founder of Smart Splice. What uh, what does Smart Splice do? Tell me a little bit about the company.
0: Well, we're we're one of the leaders in providing tape splicing materials to the electronics industry. Which basically, our segment of the market is more towards the end while they're placing parts on circuit boards. Um, what we do and what the, our big concept was, was to help enable the pick and place machines to not stop. If you if you tell a customer that you can do tw- 10, 20,000 placements an hour, but your feeders are constantly running out of components, your machine's gonna stop. So what we did, we came up with an idea to, to actually splice that tape right on the machine while it was running, to never stop because it ran out of parts, and many companies now are doing—they're doing, um, they're doing like, like dedicated lines for different products. Most of the time now, they never even take a—they never even take a, a feeder off that machine. They consistently put components, new reels on there with splicing, and even if you have a smart feeder or anything, it can—it keeps going. And then over the the years, we've added some value-added things for our customers, like little shoe wrapping machines and uh, now we sell replacement belts for any, any type of machine in the industry. So we've been asked to try and come up with that and keep the same type of price point that we do with our tape splicing materials.
1: And what, I know you've had experience with the tape industry, you know, for <clears throat> and tape and reel industry for, for many years, what led you to um, presumably leave the um, Security, if there is such a thing, confidence of getting a paycheck that's signed by somebody else uh, yep. who has all the all the worries in the world—not you—to um, you know, jump off uh, in, into the uh, deep end of the very cold pool and do it yourself. What? Well, what believe, led you to that? believe
0: it or not, when I was when I left McDonald, or I'm sorry, left uh, Ismecca, uh, I was hired away by a company called Silner that made radial and taping machines and they wanted to get into the surface machines but i met a company called fritch because they were handled by the cylinder company and when i met them basically they sold manual and semi-automatic pick and place machines and then later went into automatic machines and that's when you and i met uh when i was adding to that line with ovens and printers and and cleaners Mm -hmm. and that type stuff Uh, and we had seen each other trade shows so i was. Uh, I got my position at SmartSplice. It was owned by two gentlemen from Germany and they wanted me to start a U.S. branch and we did that. Then I became part owner of the company through Sweat Equity. So uh, I've been doing that. That started in 1990 and I did that until we had to close that company in 2003, the end of 2003.
1: And what's the reason you had to close that company?
0: Well, they're just, that's back right after nine eleven, and this country just took a big dive for a few years and people weren't, uh, a lot of companies close to the big pick and place machines. People could buy them for nothing. They were just pennies on the dollar. And it's a little hard to sell a semi-automatic machine for $80,000 when you can go out and get an automatic machine from quite a few vendors for $50,000. And you know, our machine, it was completely different than anything on the market because it could hold so many components. And people were good at it. They could place 1,200 parts an hour. Uh, but that's a big people look at, it, well, I could be placing 50,000 parts an hour with this machine. Instead, I'm going to do 1,200 with your machine for $30,000 more. So there just wasn't anything in the pipeline for years. You know, I couldn't see anything for a couple of years. And you you you, you know how that goes. You can't you can't keep a business owner or keep a business going with no with no income. And that's why we had to do that. And we had also started the tape splicing while I was at Fridge. That's where we met the people originally that we sold the product for.
1: It's funny how this, when a door closes, another door opens. There's always yeah. a link to the next. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's only that's, noticeable that's looking backwards,
1: worked. right? You can't see it moving forward. Yeah. You can only look yeah. at it looking and backwards.
0: One That's comment. where I learned my to the to the pick-and-place world was that. So yeah. I knew all the competitors, I knew what their machines could do, and I knew what could make them better. That's where all of that string tied it up at the end.
1: You know, you, you talk about pick-and-place machines, and they were just discounting like crazy. I think that particular industry within our EMS space, the pick-and-place industry, has mm-hmm. really ruined it for a lot of equipment manufacturers because – and there's one, I won't say the brand, but there's one particular brand that was more known for this than others. They all did this. And that was, here's the price, but we'll give you it for this price. And if, and if you, you know, say nice things about it, we'll lower the price even more. Uh-huh. The, the price was never the price. It was always nope. on sale. It was always, you know, how much is this machine? 300000 Oh, no, that's too much. Okay, 75000 You know, and yeah. we'll give you two years to pay. And you don't have to make your first payment for one year. I mean, they were... And I think that that incorrectly led buyers to think that's how all equipment companies work. And, you know, we'll we'll have people coming to our company, uh, this doesn't happen so much anymore, but in our younger days and say, you know, how much is this machine? And we would just, you know, $50,000, whatever the number was. And they go, well, you know, we'd like a 20% discount because our pick and place machine gave us a 20% discount. I'm like, yeah, but... (laughs) I think machine costs 300 grand, you know, and, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a big discount, but they've got, you know, it was never going to be 300 grand anyway. That's just all smoke and mirrors, but, but right. they, they kind of ruined it for everybody. You know, they, they, they peed in our end of the pool and, and now right. it's polluted right. and, and we just have to re educate because yeah, that's yeah. not the way most companies work. Right. So, um, so that company closed up uh, and um, eventually you're a smart splice and, yep and uh, you have a business partner you're you're one of two yes. uh, founders yes. is that right yes okay yeah, he, and yeah who who and- who came up with the idea did did you join his company or her company did, did did no we
0: just we knew that the one thing that when we were selling the the pick and place equipment that we had to close up we knew one thing that really was selling was the tape splicing materials and it was a consumable so then the light kind of went off in our head and said you know, this is kind of like insurance type of thing or, or selling a, a a screen printer and then being able to sell the screens along with it. You know, it's just something that people need all the time. And that's kind of how it did. And I said, well, maybe we could do this, but you know, closing a company and then starting another company and, and what have you in the meantime, I actually had to take another job because you know, when your income goes from X amount of dollars to zero dollars, uh, I actually, because starting a company, you you've done it. You know, you know, you don't get paid the first week that you're open, or the first month. You it takes a while to accrue that money, and uh, or the first the year
1: or asked, two oh. or three.
0: Yeah, and I worked for one year at CarQuest uh, Car Parts as an outside salesman. While this business matured, uh, it is different than our business is different than a lot of other ones. We didn't need a lot of capital because we are a distribution company more than a manufacturer. So we don't make these products, we have them made for us.
1: So you still require capital, but it sounds like your capital was less conventional. Uh, Part of your capital was working another job, right? And infusing that money into your cost of living and and business expenses. I mean, there's still always some capital required. Um, 75% of all new businesses fail within 10 years according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. 50% yeah. are gone in three years. Horrible, horrible odds. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think a lot of, you know, one of the top reasons is businesses are undercapitalized. And, you know, I when I started my business, I had way more money than I thought I needed, and it was gone in three months. It was literally right. gone yeah. in three <laughs> months. That You know, to quote, going back many years, quote Ross Perot, that sucking sound you hear (laughs) is our money draining out faster than we can put it back in. And eventually we end up with, you know, no money. And that's when we get smart. You know, when I I think if you have money when you start your business, if you have plenty of money when you start your business, you don't learn those skills, right? Because money's always there. So you're not necessarily frugal. You're not necessarily savvy. Um, You know, the money's there. So you almost have to get to zero to learn things. Talk about the school board knocks. Yes, exactly.
0: Been there a few times, exactly.
1: So uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, in 2014, you started another company called Progressive SMT Systems, 2014 yes. to 2016. The fact that it has a 2-2016 on it tells me that it's no longer around. What, what was the, right. What made you start that company while you were already running a company, <laughs> And, um, is it something you ate, a bad dream? You know, what, what made you uh, do it it again? It was
0: actually a, it was a company with a purpose. It was my friends from Fritch.
1: Oh, okay. They wanted
0: to get back to the United States and it had been 10 years and they said, we really need to, we really need to get back to the States. And they really had to tug at me a long time to do that because I didn't want to start a new company that late in life and, again, have to come up with capital and be able to do it. Um, But the advantage was uh, the the smart splice business, it wasn't something I had to do full-time every day. Uh, I had to work at it, but it wasn't something that was eight hours a day so I could do some of that. Um, And what I did was I I started it with, and I told him, I said, well, I'm really not trying to start this because I had the taste of selling consumables and it was a whole lot sweeter taste than selling equipment because you got paid monthly. You know, you got paid all the time. The turnover was quick. It wasn't like, I'm sure you, you've been through it with your business where sometimes it can take six months of quoting and doing all kinds of stuff to get an order, even for now, like for a $30,000 machine.
1: It's a long pipeline.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a, it's a pipeline. Exactly. And we, with tape splicing, it's more of a, we buy it now, you ship it now, and we get paid in 30 days. So it's, a, you know, normally that's the way it goes with a consumable. So we, we pretty much set it up so we always have money coming in. It's not as as bad as, like, large machinery and that type of stuff. So uh, when I got to the guys at Fritch, I said, I'll get, what I'm trying to do is I'll start this company. I'll help get it going, but my goal is to find a bigger company that can do you justice and sell your product because i want to con- you know i want to continue to really build smart place and that's that's what it did it took me about two years we found another company that are, they're sold through another company now and i helped them for a while installing machines showing them what to do and now they're they're doing well with this other company so that suits me just fine you know like they've just become part of my family over the years we've been together you know. Uh, The guys, when I started, we started when we were in our 20s and went into, you know, into my, well into my late 30s, early 40s, before I caught on with Fritch. Or I'm sorry, with Smart Smart
1: SmartSplice, yeah. It's nice to have old friends from the past come back again. Yeah, yeah. And they're still in business?
0: Oh, yeah. They run stronger than ever. Oh, good, good. They're they're one of the largest equipment manufacturers now in, in Europe. They're from Germany. Yeah. And they are the largest in Germany. So.
1: What was your original vision for smart spice and has that vision changed over the, over the years?
0: Yeah, it, it started, I know it sounds, I I mean, it's not sounding greedy. I was just trying to find something that I enjoyed doing that I could make a living at. I I wasn't one of those. I didn't start the business to make a million dollars or whatever. I mean, I, I wanted to be able to support my family, uh, just have a, a, an enjoyable time at work, be able to do things, uh, go away, do things when I wanted to be able to do it. That was a, a misconception at first, because <laughs> uh, you can't do that at first. And like I said, I was working another job. So I was working a lot of hours when we started, because I was working eight hours at another job and then doing Smart Slice in the evening. So uh, it wasn't a quick run to money or anything, but that was my concept was just being able to make a comfortable living and supply for my family and my kids. Um, over the years it has changed because the the business world's changed because now our business has just grown so much. Now it's uh, a lot of people say that you, you want to leave a, a, like an inheritance. You want to leave some mark for your kids. And for me, that's it because now, now I'm beyond kids. Now I'm into grandkids and all that type of stuff. So Uh, Being able to have some of that free time later on, as you know, as as you get older, you're hoping that you've developed people that can do some of the things you did. Uh, And that's where I'm at. We actually hired my my daughter actually works for me. Uh, She's in charge of our shipping and receiving and all that stuff. And she fits into that position. She did that before. So there, you know, it's kind of we're not trying to keep it in the family. It just worked out that she wanted a part time job and want to get rid of her full time job because she got married and wanted to have kids.
1: Oh, that's great. It, it's interesting to me, one thing I've learned over 30 years of falling down and getting up and making mistakes yeah. and learning from them is um, money should never be the primary goal. Um, right. Because if money is your primary goal, you're gonna make decisions with that, through that lens. And right. they may not be the best thing for the company in the long-term, they may be good short-term opportunities sure. for yeah. cash, but long-term requires a different, um, a different vision. And my experience is if you build a company with good fundamentals, with a, with a clear vision, not money, but a clear vision to really build the best equipment possible or, or provide the best service possible uh, to be the best in your class, best in your industry, you treat your people well, you treat your customers well, um, and you just do everything right, the money comes. Yeah. But not if you chase it, yeah. you know. Uh, you ever see these optical illusions? It's a bunch of um, uh, a hash pattern. It's a bunch of uh, uh, black lines, and, and you see yeah. gray spots in between. All. You've seen that? You know what I'm talking about? You see yeah. these gray spots? Yeah. But when you look at the gray spot, it goes away. You can only right. see the gray kind of in your peripheral vision, but if you stare yep. at it because it's not there right so if yeah. you stare at it, it goes away that's how money is in business yeah. if you if yeah. you stare at it if, if you try and reach it 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 disappears it is always there, but you can't touch it um, and, and that's been my experience with business is chase the money, you get short term gains chase the the good business proposition, the the, the value uh, and and the service and and best practices, and then money just shows up one day, it just does. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and exactly
0: that's what I was going to say. Poof, there it is. I mean, after you know, people say, "Oh, you do this, you do this, you do this," and I said, "We've been doing it, and we were you know slowly growing over the years, and then all of a sudden, boom, and it, it's all of that stuff that you just talked about starting to customers are starting to see that." They're not just looking for the, you know, the cheapest thing on the market. They're starting to look at the value of things now. And it's taken a long time to, to get to that point. But now we're in that, that time, you know, people are starting to look at that.
1: Yeah, well, um, we, we could have a whole conversation on that, which we won't have time for, but, but, um, you know, there's such thing as value-based pricing and cost-based pricing. And mm-hmm. so many, so many companies do cost-based pricing. My cost exactly. is this, I want this markup as opposed to value-based pricing. And and right. you know value-based pricing is always the best way to go rather than cost-based pricing because it really has nothing to do with your cost. It has to do with what value are you providing the customer? How much can they save? What, how much better right. can their, how much more reliable can their products be? That's what where the price should come from, not so much the, the cost. Uh, what are some of the, this is this is an open-ended question because I know that we could talk about this for five hours. But what were some of the challenges that you faced in starting your own business?
0: Well, you like I said, we I did it when I was younger and and my children were were young, like they weren't out of school yet. So uh, the the challenge was, I mean, it's a challenge, and it's also it's also some of the best things that you can do because you can't go to your boss and say, you know, you didn't do this right. You have to look in the mirror and say, you need to change this. You need to be better at this, or you need to do this to, to, you know, be able to make this company work. You can't, you can't be out there. You know, I try and tell people that all the time. I said, the only way that you can't tell somebody what to do is if you're the boss and the, and you know, the buck stops here. And that's what I have to tell my friends are like, well, why would you do that? Just like you asked. I said, because I felt that I could conform. I'm one of those people. I can conform to different things at different times. I can try and do things. I have an open mind and I've done that all my life. So, and for some reason, and I have no idea why that ever happened, but even from when I was a little kid, everybody in the neighborhood followed me. And I don't know why, but some people are like that. And I've, I've always had that. I mean, I've coached little kids in soccer for 20 years. And parents say, like, "Man, you got more out of these kids and what have you." I said, "That's that's why when you asked about Professor Splice before, I'm sure we'll get into that more later. That's why I chose that. That's why I do that. Um, because I like the concept of teaching people and bringing them along. You know, teaching them, and that's what happened in the tape splicing industry over the last, I would say, the last three to four years. So that's that's why right now." You've been in a situation, you're riding a wave, and that's where we are right now because of yes. what we, the groundwork we laid a long time ago.
1: Yeah, it takes a while to reap the benefits of that, but, but it does right. come in. It, I, I view, I, I may have said this on other episodes, but I, I view efforts like that to build your company as shoveling coal into the furnace of a steam train. You know, back in the, mm-hmm. the old yeah. days – Trains were driven by steam, and you had the engineer driving the train, and then you had the fireman shoveling coal into the furnace. And right. all those decisions you make are coal in the furnace. You don't know which yeah. lump of coal took you from mile one to mile two, but it builds up energy, which eventually propels the train down the track. And, um, you know, I call it the sales got effect. You know, if, if you make the right decisions, sales come. It's just like money. Right. And yeah. sometimes there doesn't seem to be a correlation between this specific effort and this specific outcome. But it, but it does correlate just in its own strange way.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So there, there, there are at least three types of challenges that all businesses face. There are periodic challenges uh, like recessions. Then there are once-in-a-lifetime challenges, say pandemics, who would think of that? <laughs> And then there are continuous challenges like cash flow, collections, uh, problem customers, problem employees, competition, and, you know, all that stuff. Let's start with periodic challenges. You know, once every five, 10 year recessions, things like that. Uh, We had a, you started your business in 2004. And of course, 2008 was the uh, largest economic collapse since the great depression now called the great recession. Um, How how did you handle that? You were a fairly young company. You were only about four years old or so. So right. uh, how, did you, how did you handle your first major once-in-a-lifetime uh, event? Uh,
0: for us in the consumable end of things, it wasn't as bad as it was for people maybe in the, in the machine industry. Uh, companies were still producing products. Uh, it was flat for us, but it, wasn't, it didn't go down um, a lot. We had a big issue in 2011 that really hurt our company. Um, And that, believe it or not, was a tsunami in Japan. Uh, That almost killed us because we had two huge companies back then, and they both built things for foreign car companies. They built all the electronics here in the United States. So you're looking at two companies that accounted for two-thirds of our business, and they all of a sudden weren't producing anything because they couldn't get anything from Japan. And at that point, we weren't manufacturing those products here in the States. You know, car fenders, bodies, whatever, that was being done and shipped over. So it really put a hurt on us, and we we really struggled uh, in 2011 and the beginning of 2012. So I think, that, uh, I think the
1: takeaway on that is is uh, avoid concentrations, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We're
0: and I mean we've been doing that ever since. You know, it's like we need to spread out to more people, get a bigger base, and that's when you that's when you start doing these. Like our our stuff is it's almost impossible to advertise because you show two fingers holding a piece of splice tape. If you don't know what it is, the reader is not going to know what it is. And you're going to put too much information on an ad, and they're not going to read information in a quick little ad. They want to. They want to be hit with a, a picture.
1: I'm so glad you said that, and we're going to get into that. So I'm going to. I'm going to pause that. My deep comments on that because that's the perfect segue uh, to be used in a few minutes. Um, because that is a. You did come up with a very unique workaround for. Yep. <laughs> not being able to really. Um, run traditional ads and convey yeah. the value of your product. Uh, we, talked about, we talked about, we talked about periodic challenges. Uh, tsunami certainly uh, qualifies yeah. as that. Uh, let's talk about life once in a lifetime challenges, like, uh, like a terrorist attack or, or a pandemic. Uh, how is the pandemic affecting your business?
0: Uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. And I've heard from a lot of equipment people at the recent trade shows that it didn't affect them. They're actually having record record months coming here and it's the same way with us um our business in the last three years at one time it doubled another time it tripled and now it doubled again and we're at we're at numbers that we never as a company my partner and i when we started we never thought we would be here and that's where we are and uh, a lot of that has to do with what you want to talk about later but uh but it also it's it uh i think not just the pandemic, but the fact that the, the supply chain is so broken up right now that people can't get components. And for our industry, that it sounds bad, but that played right into our strong suit because now people are getting small pieces of tape with components. They're not able to get full reels of components. And that's killed us. Uh, I mean, killed the industry a lot, but it's helped us because now we're selling a lot of these extra parts, um, like, like tape splicing. Uh, pieces together and adding extender and that type of stuff that you have to do in the taping industry and that was nice because i had that that background at his mecca i knew that industry that was right in my wheelhouse so i knew what needed to be done and we knew what needed to be added to our product line so that i i i'm one of the lucky ones that the pandemic has actually really increased our business um and that's sometimes you feel bad saying that with all the death and everything else that's been going on with it but
1: it's actually helped us a lot. So yeah, I've long said we're in the same boat. Um, I think the electronic assembly industry, in general, has fared fairly well during these right. uh, during these terrible times. And and of course, you know, you can't you cannot not say none of this is worth the price. You know, the human tragedy right. and the economic right. tragedy for certain uh, business segments. Um, uh, but um, you know, one door does close and one door does open. That's just the way life works and, and, uh, um, you know, we, we are all very fortunate. We've had our share of devastating yeah. economic, uh, conditions. Um, but, uh, this fortunately wasn't one of them. So, uh, today 2021, uh, based on everything that you've learned, uh, through your experience, what, if anything, would you do differently?
0: Uh, I don't know if I do a lot differently just because each step, like I said, with the School of Hard Knocks, I've learned things. Um, There is one big thing I wish I would have known more of when it started and that was the internet and how to use the internet to base our business. Um, A couple of my competitors out there actually beat us to the punch when it came to the internet. And we were a little slow on that because I'm of that age. I, the internet wasn't that important to me when it started. And I had to learn that through my kids, how important the internet was and how searching for things was so easy. Uh, that would probably be the biggest change we'd make. We do, right now, we do a lot of business on the internet. And if I could have got that started five years before that, we would have been a much, even a much bigger company because of we, we allowed our competitors to come in more than we would have before. So it hurt us, but now it's, it's really helping us. I mean, we've learned how to be savvy on the internet.
1: You know, I'll challenge that, that statement. I, I think that's a good answer, but you, you say it, it hurt you. Maybe not. Maybe you weren't ready to take on that volume of business. Maybe. I think everything that I've in my experience, anyway, everyone's different. Everything happens in its own unique sequence. Right. Yeah. And you have to make those mistakes to learn from them. You have to learn things before the business comes because otherwise you got one shot at it, you screw that up and you're not going to get a second shot at it. So, you know, I I think there's a little bit of synchronicity and and, and involved and, you know, the uh, business gods, as we talked about earlier, um, you know, are looking down on us. And, and, and I think the timing that you learn new skills is really important. You can't learn things too soon because you're not ready. And uh, so maybe there was a a value in being a little slow to get online and letting your competitors, you know, forge forward early, make the mistakes that you didn't have to make. Um, I, I think that's the same way with when I look at the EV market, the electronic, the electrical electric vehicle market, you know, I see all the major car companies, the legacy car companies, you know, sitting back watching Tesla you know, Tesla is like an icebreaker in the Antarctic, you know, it's, it's, it's forging uh, a break in the ice. And I think starting now and in the next several years, um, the Detroit companies, the, you know, the, uh, the German companies, the global legacy car companies are going to go, thank you, Elon. We'll take it from here. And because he he broke the ice and uh, I think there's a value in not being first, but, being better,
0: right? Yeah, and yeah, that's a, that's a good attitude. You can't I mean, be we, better when
1: you're first. What are you better than, right? Um, yeah, so. yeah, we
0: were we were first, and then we went into a kind of an, an even keel, and then now we've, you know, we've like you said, we've learned to be better. Yeah,
1: so, absolutely. Yeah. So I, you told me about your your um, your days at when Smart Splice first opened, a little unusual. Um, you did work a lot of hours, but that was one. Eight hours a day to work a job that yeah. would help you right. with the few hours right. a night that you had to put in for yeah. smart, smart's wise. What's your typical day like now?
0: Uh, it's actually, believe it or not, since we started the professor, it's uh, it's actually gotten a little longer than it had been for a while. Uh, that was back the, the last Apex show in nineteen. Uh, we just started that, and uh, that was actually my daughter's first days at our company. So she. She helped take away some of that day-to-day stuff that I had to do for years, and that freed me to do more marketing, more with what we're doing today. And that's, that's just built us up really well. And now we're, we're reaping those rewards. So,
1: One of the questions I was going to ask you, but you kind of already answered it, but let me just put a bow on it. Um, a question I like to ask all of my guests is, you know, when you first started – your business, how did you define success and how do you define it today? And you gave a very non-typical answer. Most people would say, I define success as, you know how many cars on my driveway and, and yeah. you know uh, the size of my house, how much money I have in the bank account. And, and I, that always changes after uh, several years of running their own business. So you, you did say that, that um, in the early days of starting your company, starting Smart Spice, uh, you define success as making an okay income, supporting your family and having fun in, in and yeah. doing it. If I am recounting that correctly, how do you find define success today? Has that changed?
0: Uh, not a lot. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a guy that can go with the win. I change things up when I can, but for me, life is more about enjoying and uh, you know, it's just given me a, a today. It's given me a chance because the money's there Yeah. I could fill my driveway and I, and I do have nice cars. I do have, I'm a motorcycle rider, so I do have a nice motorcycle. You know, we moved to the shore. So I have a, I have a golf cart, which I said I would never have just like going into sales. Um,
1: never say never.
0: Yeah. But I, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't ever define myself by money. I, I, just, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is the place where, but I'm, I'm a Christian and that's not first in my life by any means. And, what i can impart to my kids and my grandkids i want them to come down have a good time when they come to visit us and i want to be able you know if i need to take a couple of days to spend with them i'm able to do that if i go away if i go do something the business doesn't fall apart because of that and i had to do that before i had very few vacations because i did the shipping as well as the you know the uh do the, the marketing and that type of stuff i was Tied down quite a bit. I couldn't just leave all the time. So every time I went to a trade show, we wound up having to hold up shipping for a day or two. And that's not good. But again, we, we also knew the, the days when you live, you know, hand to mouth type of thing, too. So we're like, well, oh, you know, I know what it takes to actually get ready for another employee, what, what you have to be ready to sacrifice and be ready to pay. A lot of employees don't understand that, how much it actually costs to have them. It isn't their salary. That's the big cost. It's all the other things, you know, and uh, uh, so we learn our lessons young, you know, and I I said, that's for me now, I I enjoy life. I mean, I love getting up. I, I love what I do. I wouldn't have been in this industry for this many years if I didn't enjoy the electronics industry. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are difficult. Let's put it that way to deal with. But I think way back when with McDonald's, it taught me how to deal with them. It isn't It isn't just proving that you're right, they're wrong. It's learning to steer them in the direction that you want them to go and and understand why you think you're selling the best product. It isn't just, you know, I I learned that a long time. I don't bash my competitors. I need to show the company that I'm selling to why our product is better. And over all these years, people finally understand that it's exactly what you talked about earlier. It isn't how cheap you can sell something; it's the value you're getting for what you're buying. Yeah, and they're finally starting to see that.
1: Yeah, in my experience, if someone leads with price, I will be happy to tell them where they can get that price. It may not be yeah. may not be me, but yeah, no problem. Um, but when they lead with, I have a problem. How can you solve it? Now we can talk because exactly. then you partner yeah. with the yeah. customer. And I, I, my experience also, perhaps you you can confirm this in in your case, is in the early days when we took every order we could discounted Mm -hmm. as much as possible, you know, it was very competitive. And, and, you know, we made those macho kind of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to win twice. I'm going to win the customer and then I'm going to win because my competitor didn't get it, you know, when, um, customers who lead with price and demand discounts tend to be the most needy, costly customers. You end up Mm -hmm. spending (laughs) more money, yeah. over the time that customer has your equipment than you even made when you sold the equipment. And, right, right. and if we just let those people go to our competitors, it's the closest thing to a Trojan horse we can find because we right, will eat them right. up from the inside. Right. Yeah. Um, and we like to partner with our customers as you do. You know, we're, we're, we're here to provide a solution, help us help you and, right. and partner. And when we leave with price, it just doesn't lend that lend, yeah. you know, to that. Um, what keeps you up at night? What, what are some of your greatest fears in business, and, and how do you overcome those?
0: Well, I know, I know this sounds crazy because we, we sell a consumable, and it has to do with tape feeders. And a lot of people are developing new tape feeders so that you don't have to splice. But they don't realize a lot of times they're playing into our hands. So um, that used to keep me up at night. Like, what if, what if this just went away? You know, what if taping you – know, at one time, people were trying to get away from using tape and reel on their machines – they were just going to feed parts in bulk and, and have special feeders for that. And that just fell on its face. And you've been in the industry long enough to know, too. When I first started with selling surface mount taping equipment, through-hole stuff was going to be a thing of the past in five years. And guess what? It's still here. So things don't change in the electronics industry other than years ago. Uh, you know, ovens, oh, here we're going to do infrared this month or this year next year, it's not going to be infrared, it's going to be convection, then it's going to be a kind, of, it used to change every year, there was a, almost like eggs, <laughs> you know, eggs are good for you one year, they're bad for you another year, and, uh, you know, over the years, that used to keep me up, now, most of the stuff that keeps me up uh, isn't so much business, um, I, I do worry about it, but I guess once you, once you get to the age I'm at, it's like, well, if I could, if it can hold out another three years, that's cool, I, you know, I'm good, uh, but, I I would not retire when I'm 65. Anyway, I like what I'm doing. So I'll probably keep doing it. I'll probably, you wouldn't know it now, but I, you know, I don't have any hair, but when it is there, it's pretty gray. Um, So I just, I, like I said, I, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not in this world to do it the way everybody else does. I, I like being able to have an effect on people. I like to be able to, like you said, partner with people. And I think they're finally learning that that's, the way to go. I'm not just there to sell them tape splicing and walk away. I want your machine to run 100% of the day when it comes to what I can provide. Not, not if a machine breaks down, but you know, the the machines themselves have changed over the years. They don't, they don't have those machines that can do 80,000 placements an hour. They divide that into eight machines doing 10,000 an hour. So that if something goes bad, they learned their lesson. If something breaks, they're down 80,000 parts an hour here. They're down nothing because they make the other machine do the, the load of the other one. So it's, it's, that part's great. Uh, like I said, we have people out there trying to make feeders that you don't have to, you don't have to splice. You don't have to do this. And in the end, a 10 cent splice, I can go much faster than their new, than their new feeders anytime. And I'm, I'm not an operator. I'm a salesman when it comes down to it, I'm selling the product. I just happen to know the product really well. So that's right. what, what I offer. And, and I, I mean I've been in the industry long enough I could probably, you know, if something happened overnight, I could probably get a job tomorrow, but I I'm I'm loving what I do now, so I'm not really looking for that forward to that day, but who knows.
1: Well, I I used to have the same fear that, you know, someday, you know, I started my business cleaning equipment the same year No Clean was introduced. It's yeah. like, could there have been a worse time? Yeah, and yeah. I, I was, my big fear, everything, that what kept me up every night was the thought that, well, no clean will take over the world and no one's going to clean anymore, except maybe yeah. a few military people and, you know, space people. Right. Um, and it turned out no clean is our, our, our biggest ally because more people clean no clean than any other flux species. But I didn't know <laughs> that at the time, right? I was right. scared yeah. of no clean. And then all of a sudden, you know, I realized I should embrace it because it's here. It's not going away and for those who aren't going to clean that's the right type of flux but but um it, it the fears you know you just see past the fear I, I heard a speaker once talk about you know if you're a skier downhill skier and you're skiing through trees successful skiers don't even see the trees they, they concentrate on the path
0: on the ocean. and
1: yeah. if you concentrate on the trees you're going to hit a tree it's just the way it yeah. is if you concentrate on the path you don't even, I mean, obviously you see the trees, but you don't concentrate on the trees. You concentrate right. on the path. And, and, you know, in my case, the tree was no clean flux. And, and you know, we just had to say, okay, you know, concentrate on the path. And the, 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 the fear dissolved. It just, it just went away. And it proved not yeah. to be a, a valid fear. Uh, but if we had concentrated on it, you know, we would have hit the trees, so to speak. So over the years, let me introduce this guy. Uh, over the years, you've reinvented yourself. There's professor splice. Tell me about that reinvention. What led you to create, I don't say create the character. I think you were always the character. You were the coach when you were younger and, and people follow you. Um, so that, that was a, um, you know, a a well-planned, um, progression, but tell me what led you to discover that side of you
0: well my, my partner one day said he said do you realize you've been doing this longer than anyone else in this industry you've been selling tape splicing for like 25 to 30 years and he said he he just joked and he just said something like well you should be like the doctor or something i said well i could be the professor because i said i i mean i really enjoyed all the years i coached kids in soccer i really enjoyed and i did the same at mcdonald's you teach somebody how to do something And I get joy from seeing the joy on their face when they learn to something that's like, oh my gosh, that worked. And now we got a whole new line of tape splicing materials. And the problem is the industry is having a hard time coping with them because they're so revolutionary that nobody else has them. And they're used to doing things the old way. They've, They've had problems in the past. So we're bringing new people back into the fold that did splicing before and it wasn't successful. And now they're like, oh my gosh, this really is that simple. And I said, Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be the professor. I'm just gonna teach people how to do this. And it just so happened we introduced him right before the pandemic, right, you know, at that apex. And what what made me happy was the first three or four people we followed up with after the show, they they're, the, the big thing was I don't remember a lot about that show, but I remember getting schooled by Professor Splice on how to splice this real stuff together. And it was like one of those check marks you do when you run into companies like bingo, let's keep that one going. And then over this time when we couldn't go visit customers, I said, well, this is gonna be hard as anything. It actually played into our hands because now we we did the whole line of instructional videos and people go to them all the time. You can just say, oh, go to the Professor Splice channel and look at this, look at this. And we can, you know, we can send the link out to them in an email and said, this is exactly what you need. And this is exactly how easy splicing can be. And you know, they're doing splices for like 15 cents a splice instead of buying all kinds of new feeders, whether they have smart feeders, not smart feeders, it, it works for anything that you do. And people are just, oh man. And we just got our first big order when I was at SMTA. Uh, we're finally able to get back into Mexico and do things in Mexico. And that's where they really need this a lot. I mean, there are just so many big lines down there and to keep those lines running, this is the best way to do it. And it's just, that's how it caught on. And and as we've been discussing this whole time, this started at McDonald's, you know, it's just customer service. That's what it is. And I learned that at hamburger university. I learned that as an employee. Um, You just keep working for what you're trying to do. And uh, you know, That's exactly what it is. I've done coaching and now I'm doing coaching just in a different atmosphere. You know, I'm teaching people how to do this, the new way to do it with not having to use tools or anything right on the assembly line. It just makes it so much easier.
1: You've come a long way from, would you like fries with that?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, Two last questions. Uh, What advice would you give budding entrepreneurs with the pandemic Um, a lot of people lost their jobs and you know decided we're at an intersection in their life you know maybe they had an idea that they were thinking about for all these years but but they were working a job and they didn't want to leave the job it's scary to leave a job because there is a little even Mm -hmm. if you hate your job it's still scary because there's a little bit of you know comfort in knowing you're going to get a paycheck next week Um, there could be a lot of people right now that are sitting at that intersection of well I've already lost a job so I'm just gonna go ahead and do this now Uh, what advice would you give uh, budding entrepreneurs based upon your experience
0: well there's there's two important things the first one is uh, through all of this like all of this I've been married and to me if you're married it doesn't mean everyone is but if you are you really have to have your spouse on board with you because it really becomes their issues as well as your issues whether you're not sleeping whether you're putting in long hours you have to remember that they're along for the ride too, whether they want to be or not. But if they agree to it and you do it, that's exactly, you know, to me, that was my starting point. Do you think, do you think we'd be able to do this? It wasn't, do you think I'd be able to do this? Can we do this starting with this little bit of money on a weekly basis or a monthly basis? And uh, as you saw at the last show when you were there, my wife's in the booth with me. She's, she's, a crazy woman for getting people into the booth. So nobody walks by our booth without her saying hi to them. And she's just that type of person. And uh, you, you know, you just have to have strong backing that way, not just financially. But I think uh, when I look at it now, uh, and it, it works into it perfect, my son just started a new business two months ago. And they have more work than they can do. And it's a painting business, but it's just, you. I think you just have to find your niche where you're strong, you, it, it's sometimes hard to start a new business It's something you've never done before. That's really bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't mean it's bad; it's just really hard to do because you're learning something new, and you have to try and come up with all this capital and what have you. Uh, and for him, you know, I told him years ago. I said, you know, the, whatever your your boss is, whatever you're making, your boss is making five to ten times that. I said, if you want to make this and not be the middleman and in between your customers and him. You need to be him and he was just going to start it before the pandemic and it was good he didn't because even their business got shut down for a couple months but when he went back he said i said if you're going to do it you you can't pick a better time all they're doing is building houses anywhere you go uh so he does a lot of that work and, and it's great but you just have to find something like i said with me it was meant to mcdonald's then learn all the taping uh, it just was a natural progression. So. I know that sounds weird, but for me, it wasn't a a big reach to go to the next step and start a business. During all this, I also had a motorcycle business for 15 years. I restored motorcycles. That was my real passion. And that was my sideline. Um, just happened to be when I moved up to the Northwest Pennsylvania area, they, they had no concept of what anything was worth. So I kind of shuddered. I did a lot up there, but it was more for my enjoyment. When I had any time, I would go out and turn a wrench. Cause I love doing that. So nowadays it's, it, you know, and there's st- there is still a lot of availability in the in the electronics industry to start something new. There's a lot of little things that people come up with. And I said, if you find one of those, but it can be in anything you want to do, just find something that you believe in, that you can say, yeah, I could see myself backing this and then do it. So like you said, I, I don't think you. Were the first thing you look at, Well, I'm going to make a million dollars at this, and that's not the way to look at it. You need to figure out first what's realistic, what can be done, and like I said, I'm down. I'm a down-to-earth guy. I don't talk down to anyone. I don't say, "Well, I'm the Professor Splice. I know how to do all this." That, that's not the way it's done. It's just I did that as a way for them to get comfortable that they maybe they can understand that I, oh, after all these years, I know what I'm talking about. I know both ends of the industry. And if you're in that position where you know something and you know it really well, I don't care if it's landscaping. I don't care what it is. It's almost like a, not a better time to do this because you know, people are, people are coming back now. They want to, they want to spend money. They want to do things. They want to try and get back to normal. That, that can mean anything you want to get involved with.
1: Well, oh, very good. Last question. Um, skill and luck. If you were to categorize uh, and quantify how much skill, how much luck, and luck can be defined any way you want. Um, what percentages would you give each one in your journey?
0: Ah, uh, man. I think, I think probably luck. It, you're, you're probably at least 40% luck, 60% skill. You still, you still need to know what you're doing. Um, and if you don't, you need to learn what you're doing. And that's the one nice thing about the internet now. You can pretty much find out anything you need to make you better at something. But I still think skill, the scale's still going to go for me, more skill than, than luck. And you know, I mean, everybody said that you make your own luck. I think if you if you go out there and, and you're tenacious about something and you want to see it succeed, I think that's that's more skill than luck. So I, I'm 60, 40, might not even be It might be 30. Thirty luck and seventy skill. Um, like I said, and as we talked about, the, the the last few years for us has really culminated in all that we've been doing, and that's why you talked about earlier about the, the marketing and stuff, and that's what it was with Professor Splice. Now somebody sees that that bull, that that pull up banner at a trade show. I've seen you on I've seen you on the internet. I've seen you on YouTube, and now they can recognize what it means. Now we just want to take that next step and show the quality that it means. It's really not just a gimmick. It is, you know, we actually are the only company in our, in our area that will go into a customer, no matter how big you are and teach you how to splice and show your operators how to splice because it is that important. So no, but none of our competitors do that. That's why the big change in the industry. Most of them don't really even know what they're selling anymore. It's just a line item in their, in their catalog we actually go in and show you how to do it because that is our business.
1: Well, I love your business strategy. I love your passion. Uh, I love your story. Um, I, I like how you have reinvented yourself and, uh, I, I particularly like the fact that, and I think one of the, one of the reasons for your success is, uh, your goals were set or calibrated properly at the beginning of your journey. Mine certainly weren't mine was, you know, I'm going to do this and make a bunch of money. And right, of course, right. the first thing that the sales gods do, the business gods do is take away all the money, right? Like it's, okay. you know, cause it's like, don't tell God your plans, right? Because yeah, will yeah. change them. Um, so you know, it, it I, I think people learn best when they're a blank slate. So if you come in with all these preconceived notions, that, those are going to be thrown yeah. out the window Cause you yeah, need to I've start fresh. For you. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, uh, but it looks like some of that slate on your side didn't need to be wiped clean. You already had some good motivation in front of you, uh, which I certainly had to relearn. So I had to lose everything to gain that new knowledge. Yeah. Right. So, um, you, you were probably a bit faster study than I was, but, um, uh Larry it's been it's been great. Thank you so much for sharing with me and and my audience uh, your your business journey. It's always great to see what goes on behind the curtain so to speak. Uh it's never as seamless and as clean oh, no. as okay. as it appears, right? Uh there's always there's always a very dramatic interesting twist and turn up and down part right. of the journey. And I'm I'm very uh, happy that um your business is is um, is good. And, uh, and you've learned what you've learned and thanks for sharing what you've learned with, with me. I really appreciate it.
0: I really appreciate you having me on. And I said, even if some person sees this and maybe decides to start their own business, that's great. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, people understand that it, it can be done. And I'm one of those guys. I look at it. If I can do it, you can do it because I sure didn't didn't have a silver spoon to eat off of or any of that stuff. Just down to earth, and I just wanted to start something, and it worked. You know, I, I'm not saying everybody's going to be a success, but you know, that's what they say. You you miss more of those things when you say, "Oh, I wish I wish I would, I wish I would have." You, you, you at least got to try it. And so I was saying, today's world, people don't have some people don't have a lot to start with. Maybe it's a good time to start it because you're not going to lose a lot. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. When we. First, started the company, we got sued by a competitor who thought that they could bully us out of business and, and basically bleed us dry financially, which they pretty much did. Uh, fortunately, we won the lawsuit. Um, but I remember there was one point where my wife was crying, and 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 I was pretty much near tears because you know it could go either way. You know, you never know; it can go either way. I, I felt confident, but it could go either way, and we had to be prepared uh, for the worst. We had to kind of make peace with the worst. Like, well, what happens if we do lose? And I remember looking at my wife, going, "They can't kill us. We'll still be here. Yeah. They, we don't really have any money, so I mean, now's a good. If we're gonna lose everything, now's a good time because we don't have anything, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And and um, once we kind of realized that together, that we're worried about nothing other than ego, really. We're just worried about nothing, if, you know. It would be worse if we had built the company up over thirty years and then lost everything. That would be devastating.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. But
1: if you're gonna lose, lose well you don't have much to lose and, and exactly. learn from it. So yes. that fear just kind of instantly evaporated once we came to that realization. And then of course, you know, a few days later we won on everything. And yeah and um you know, we, we licked our wounds and, and went forward. So well, anyway, uh, Larry, uh, if uh, if my audience would like to get in touch with Larry, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, look down and uh, where it says, uh, show more, you can click that button and Larry's contact information uh, with Smart Splice will be there. And if you're listening to this in the car, in the treadmill, wherever you're listening to the podcast, Uh, And you'd like to find out how to contact Larry, uh, just look at the show notes on whatever podcast platform you're on, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you're listening to this, they all have uh, show notes. Uh, Click down on the show notes and you can see Larry's contact information. Once again, Larry, uh, thanks for being my guest and I wish you uh, continued success into the future.
0: All right. Thanks, Mike. I'm looking forward to seeing you
1: at Apex. Yes, absolutely. I'm
0: All right. Forward to seeing Thank you. you. Take care. Yeah. Thanks.
1: Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Concept to Creation podcast. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, please be sure and subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and virtually wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this in the car and you would like to see the video version of this as soon as you get home, as soon as you get back to the office, be sure and search for us on our YouTube channel, the Concept of Creation YouTube channel. When you're on the YouTube channel, be sure and hit the subscribe button and hit that bell icon so you'll be notified of new episodes as soon as they're released. We do release new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks.
0: And I was meant to be free Meant to be free